Values define how we live, how we act, and how we think. But how can we maintain our Christian values in a world that is constantly at odds with the biblical values we are called to live by? When we allow the nature of God to resonate in our heart, it causes us to change the way we live. We will begin to show irrational grace and experience exponential growth both personally and corporately. Our desire will be to be part of authentic groups, and when we gather, it will be with enthusiasm. We will be generous in our giving, using the gifts we have identified for His glory. We will be obedient in our call to go, constantly glorifying God in all that we do. This sounds like a fulfilling way to live our lives, but are we willing to allow our heart to resonate with Christ to see this happen? Wonderful to be with you today as we continue on in our Resonate uh, theme. And I think uh, whether you're here in person, today is going to be one of those days, or, or online, let me finish that statement, today is going to be one of those days where I hope we will catch a little bit of a glimpse of the importance of gathering together because we're going to look at um, the idea of enthusiastic gathering and you guys have got to be enthusiastic um, whether you're here or you're online and it's easy, I know it's easy because I've been there and I find it easy too to sit in the lounge chair and just watch, sipping on a cup of coffee watching what goes on, and I, I want us to be engaged. I want us to be part of that. So whether you're here in the, in the auditorium today or watching from some other place, just be engaged. And um, I don't care if you call out. I do care if you abuse me on stage, but that's, we'll fix that one up. But no, I, I want us to be enthusiastic about being together and excited about that. And one of the greatest struggles, I think, that we have had, that most churches have had. In fact, I would say nearly every church has had post-COVID has been encouraging people to get back together. There is a lot of fear in our culture about, you know, how close we can get and mingling with each other and the, the idea that we'll catch something. Um, do you know what? That's always been there. It's just, it's, we've always been at risk. How many of you, don't put your hands up, but how many of you have caught a cold from someone that you didn't really want to catch a cold from? That's because we didn't isolate. Maybe every time we do that, we should think about that. But that's where we've gone now with COVID is this fear that's amongst our society because we don't want to gather. We don't want to get too close. And that's infiltrating everything that we do. It's disappointing and sad, but it is what it is. And we've got to recognise the importance that the scriptures tell us that we need to gather together. We'll be reading the verse in Hebrews later on, but don't neglect the gathering together, it tells us in Hebrews 10. We'll get to that. And what has happened during this time of fear and anxiety and disassociation from being together is that we, the online experience has become more normal. And it's easier to stay at home. And to be fair, I would absolutely tell you that the online experience now is a far greater quality than what it was pre-COVID. Beforehand, that wasn't even really that 
the focus of what we're trying to do, but we wanted people to hear. It became the focus and so quality increased. And now as we've come back, the quality, I actually had a conversation with someone and, and the quality of online stuff may even be better than what you're getting internally. I don't agree. Because how could you not want to be together? But the, the audio and all of that sort of stuff, it's all fine-tuned for that. And it is good and it is better. And we need to be excited about that. But what has happened is it's become a good option so that when we don't um, feel like coming to church or we want to just take a little bit more of a sleep in or, you know, we're running a bit late, something's cropped up, I'll just stay home. And it's the question, this is the statement I want you to remember. It's not about whether you're here or not. That's not the problem. I, I won't say I don't care that you're here or not, because I do. But that's not the priority. It's not whether you're here or not. It's why we ought to meet together that is the most important thing. The why is far more important than the what. So what we do is what we do, but why we do what we do is far more important and it is really important why we should gather together. And I know that there are people who watch online um, and you're watching today and I'm grateful for that and there is no other option for you because of distance, of circumstance in your lives and that's what you should be doing and I'm grateful for that. So this is not directed towards you or anyone else who might feel that, you know, I, I've got to stay at home, there's no other options. I understand that there are people who are unable to get to church for one reason or other. Um, bad health is one of them or you're in, high, and you're in isolation so you're not, you're not allowed to, to do that under the current situation either. But nowhere in scriptures, in the scriptures, do I see that the scriptures indicate that meeting together is not a good option. The scriptures do not say, do not gather together. It always says it's important that we do. The best option where we, where it's practical and possible is to gather in person. But we get used to having the option of watching online. The idea of staying home and sleeping in a little bit more and sipping on that cup of coffee a little bit longer, putting your feet up on the footrest, closing your eyes and no one notices you snoring. They're all there. But... We need to recognise that gathering together is one of the most visual and important aspects of our faith that we can invest in, yet it is so often the most neglected. We, we just assume that it will happen. And the thing is, when we understand the grace, we talked about it in week one, irrational grace, when we understand the grace that God has extended to us, why would we not want to be together celebrating him and worshipping him? Why would we choose not to, as even out of a, a matter of respect to him, to come together because he has asked us as the children of God to gather together? We need to recognise our, our why we do that. Our growth happens exponentially. We talked about that in week two. When we start to receive and give that grace, when we recognise the power of grace that is upon us, we begin to grow in maturity. 
and, and understanding Jesus himself, the scriptures tell us he died, that he grew in wisdom and maturity, wisdom, maturity and wisdom and, in, and knowledge of God and man. And we need to recognize that in ourselves, that wisdom and stature and knowledge of God and knowledge of man should be something that we're wanting to grow exponentially. And we can do that. Last week we spoke about the idea of meeting in groups and the, the context of small groups allows for that to flourish. So be involved, get involved, look for opportunities to be involved in a, in a group context, a smaller group where you can start to, to learn to pray together and, and discuss things together and you won't always agree. In fact, we'll talk a bit, little bit about that today, but I would be very surprised if, if we got 100% agreeance on every topic in this church. And that's okay, because that's what we rec need to recognise, that we aren't all just little robots that have been programmed to do the same thing in the same way at the same time. And we're all different. So it's okay because I, as, as Proverbs 27 tells us, as iron sharpens iron, we sharpen each other. People sharpen people. And we can sharpen each other's understanding and wisdom as we grow together and as we meet in groups. And that's what we recognised. A couple of weeks ago, we, we read Acts 2.42. I've mentioned it each week since, and today I'll mention it again. But the church they tell us the church met every day before primary things on their agenda, on their, 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 their order of service for their meeting together as a church for the, to study the apostles' teaching or study the word of God, for fellowship, for sharing of food and communion, and for prayer. So they enjoyed fellowship, they enjoyed food, they enjoyed studying the word of God, and they enjoyed praying. The four elements that make up pretty much what we are doing even today. And they met daily and the church, the Lord added to their, their number daily. The church grew at that point, Acts 2, you'll read it in verse 47, 48, where the church grew to about 3,000 on that one day. Imagine that. And while our culture might not allow us to meet together on a daily basis, it, it just doesn't work that way. One of the most fundamental aspects of our spiritual growth that we can embrace, I believe, happens when we're able to gather together and be enthusiastic in that time. The church gathered, the, the small groups gathered for worship once a week ought to be the highlight for every Christian, every Christ follower. It should be the joy of the week. I can't wait to join with my fellow believers. Following Jesus is never been and is not an individual sport. You can't really function well by not joining in. The reality is we need a church family or we need a family to help us to continue to grow up. The reality is also that we have a heavenly father, Abba, father, our dad, our heavenly dad, who, who wants us to be in communion with him, to learn to love him. And we become all part of the family of God. That means that you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And we can't afford to let the idea of not me or meeting the let me rephrase that we can't afford to let the idea of meeting together to fade into obscurity we can't it really ought to be the priority of what happens for us for us on a sunday morning others it's other times of the week that's okay it doesn't matter paul talks about that in corinthians as well for us it's sunday morning as we gather together with like-minded people, brothers and sisters in Christ, to worship our Heavenly Father. That's why we should be here. And with that in mind, I want us to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're not sure, um, there's some ideas, but we're not sure who wrote Hebrews. Hebrews isn't one of those books that says um, it's attributed to Paul or it's attributed to Peter or where anything else. Um, there's a lot of conjecture about who it is. It doesn't matter who wrote the book of Hebrews. It is in the scriptures. And there's a reason why it's there too, but that's not what I want to share today. But Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews puts us there. So I want to start at verse 19. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And in verse 23 it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider one another in order to stir one another up to love and good works not for, excuse me not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much more as we see the day of the lord approaching we, we read 23, 24, 25 regularly, 24, 25, and many of us know off by heart, verse 25. But I want to put all this into context today. And the first point, if you're filling out sermon notes, and I encourage you to do that, the first word you need to fill in there, gathering together builds our confidence. As I said before, in week one, we spoke of irrational grace, grace that has been shown to us when we accept the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. The grace of God, grace from God given to us. Then when we accept Jesus as Lord, the desire in us at that point will be to honour him, to grow in maturity. That should be a natural response to that. When we grow in wisdom and stature, in knowledge of God and knowledge of men, and, and we, we realise that God really, really does want us to enter into a deeper, fuller, more intimate relationship with him that is real and personal. He wants us to be in that kind of relationship. We come to understand that as his children, brothers and sisters together, that we are now welcomed into his presence and we can have confidence in coming before him by ourselves because 
of the grace that has been extended to us. There was a time in the Old Testament where a mighty veil hung between the regular temple part and the Holy of Holies. The high priest once a year would enter in through that big curtain. The curtain incidentally was around about in our terminology about 30 meters tall. It's huge. This ceiling in this room is four meters from where you're sitting. It was a huge curtain. It was amazingly big and it, but it, and it was heavy. You couldn't see through it. The Bible tells us that in the Old, well, in the Old Testament, we read that the Ark of the Covenant sat in there and you could see the extensions of the poles that were attached to it out the side. It was a, it was a big deal to enter into the, the Holy of Holies. But at the crucifixion of Jesus, that veil was torn in two and the Bible tells us that it was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Imagine that. The very hand of God was the only way it could have torn from top to bottom. 30 metres in the air, six-storey building, and it was torn, and God tore the veil apart. We read a, a, a part of that this morning where it talks about Jesus. We come to know God through Jesus. He is the veil, his flesh. When Jesus' body was broken on the cross, we got the opportunity to come into the very presence of God. And we should be celebrating that. Like never any other culture generation before that time do, do we have such a joy and an opportunity, yet it's, we're further down, we're 2,000 years later, and we are taking it for granted. We need guidance, we need help. And if you've recently given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps one of the best descriptions of that stage of life for, for you, for us at that point, is being an infant. And I don't know of any infant that does not need parental help. If you leave a child as an infant on the ground, it will die. If we think about that in terms of spiritual recognition, when we give our heart to the Lord, if we are not encompassed in a family, we will die. It just can't move on from that. As we grow to understand what it means to be a child of God, as we begin to understand how into young adulthood with God, as we understand what it means to be a parent in the context of spiritual growth, we need each other. Large families are really not so common anymore. But the one thing about large families was, is that older children tend to mostly help the younger children, help the parents with the younger children. That's just the context of it. Families of 10, 15, 20 children, which were common once upon a time, not so much now, the older children's responsibility were the younger children. That's how it should be in church. We have responsibilities for each other. It's not just one person, it's not just one role. It wasn't the parent's only job, or only the parent's job, let me put it around the right way. We have a responsibility to each other. We're brothers and sisters brought together to help our siblings grow and mature and understand the things that we should be doing. Will we always agree? Absolutely not. 
But disagreements are not the reason for division. Disagreements can be and should be the reason for diversity. We get to understand with a broader understanding. Just because we do not agree on something does not mean that we're not part of the family. We get up and move. It's important we understand that. Paul had to address a disagreement in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings, when you come together, do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe that. No doubt, there have been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. What Paul's saying there is differences will happen because God will use that to bring us in and focus it in on the main thing, the importance. There will be disagreements from time to time. There may be times when we get upset with one another. There may even be a time when you don't really feel like talking to someone at some point or other. But this is where we have been talking about over the past few weeks when, when we begin to grow and mature, we begin to see a little bit bigger of the picture. As we grow and mature in Christ, we should be coming better at extending grace along with truth. Being right for the sake of being right is not right. It's just not right to be right for the sake of being right. The differences that we have, and we will, we don't, not on everything, but the differences we have ought to be leading us to spiritual growth and understanding and bringing more unity and loyalty to the body of Christ. Gathering together teaches us and equips us to be able to have confidence in him because he is faithful. It's where we learn to pray together. It's where we learn to share together, to express ourselves as we are. It's the place where we can have the confidence to do those things. It's where we can experience life together as a Christ follower under the guidance of our heavenly dad. And the early Christians were meeting daily for that, for prayer, study the word of God, for fellowship, eating together, sharing together, prayer. And if Paul had to remind them to not give up meeting together as some were already in the habit of doing, how much more do we need that reminder? If, God, if Paul saw the need that they needed to be reminded not to forsake the gathering together when they were used to meeting every day, how much more should we? Gathering together builds confidence in us so that we can know and respond to the struggles of this world. Secondly, gathering together equips us for ministry. It equips us for ministry. Verse 22, 23 says this, draw near with a pure heart or a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. What's that saying? That's saying that when we accepted Jesus Christ, the free gift of grace that was extended to us, when we became his followers, we became a new person. The old self was done away with. It was gone. Our old 
bodies were washed clean. Our hearts were sprinkled, done away with. The old evil conscience was taken out and we were given a new start. Our consciences had a reboot. And because of that, because we truly repented and we turned away from our old life, we should and are now living completely differently to the way that we were before that took place. Let's not lose confidence in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ because it equips us for the things that God still has for us to do. Gathering as a family is a great place for us to be equipped, to be able to share the hope, to learn, to understand, to be trained. Being part of the family, God strengthens us so that we're able to cope with the, what Satan is going to throw at us when we're alone. And he will, and he does. Peter was encouraging the believers in, the, in his epistle in this way, reminding them that in Christ we have or we can have confidence to face today. And, he, and 1 Peter 3 says, and he, sorry, and who is he who will harm you if you have become followers of what is good? The implied answer for these questions, by the way, is no one can stop us. That's the implied answer. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in their hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asked you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. And, that, and when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Isolating ourselves from our family leaves us vulnerable. And the wolf always attacks the lone sheep. Yet isolate is what we choose to do when we're ashamed or embarrassed about something or we're just lazy. Isolate is what we choose to do when we don't feel like it, meeting together. Yet it puts us in the most vulnerable position. And we spoke about this in week one, but when the body of Christ is functioning as it ought to, grace overcomes shame. Gathering together equips us so that we're able to cope with those things that come against us. It's the best place that we can be. Being here together with others who are working through life as well, who have perhaps gone through some of those things or are working through them themselves, it's the best place to be. We won't always have the answers. But a problem shared is a problem halved is, this, is the proverb and there's an element of truth in that. Each one looking out for the benefit of each other, equipping one another, always being ready to share the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. Why would we not want to gather together to be equipped to do that? And that's what Peter is saying when the writer of Hebrews is saying in verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering from that. Confident assurance of what we stand for. Gathering together is a wonderful opportunity to be equipped for doing the ministry that God has in store for us. And thirdly, gathering together keeps us focused. Verse 24, the familiar verses perhaps, 24, 25. Consider one another 
in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. If there has been one thing that has become very clear over the past 18 months is that isolation causes often a loss of focus. We, we get distracted or the focus shifts. And, and it's just what happens. We, we, our focus goes on to what's most important at the time. The reality is that every one of us needs some form of accountability. We need to hold each other accountable to these things. The hardest time generally in ministry is over the Christmas break where we've got about two months where small groups don't happen, where, where ministry groups are not taking place and we, we miss the opportunity to catch up with some people who only come for those sorts of things. And because there's a two-month break, we lose connectivity with them, we lose focus, and, and if we're out of ministry, it's easy to lose focus because other things fill up the time that we would normally spend doing those things. We make, or when we make gathering together a priority, it helps us to keep our focus on what the main thing is and where it should be. If you're on holidays, find a church. If you're unable to join in person, then join online. But either way, whether you're in a church personally or you're online, we need to be active in our participation. One of the best encouragements can be to know that you are watching online or that you are, you know, just say, hi, I'm here, I'm enjoying, make comments, be involved if you're online. If you're in person, participate in what's happening. Be enthusiastic in what we're doing. In fact, if you're in, in person or you're, we're watching from an online perspective, it, you want to share the love of Jesus with others, pick out some stuff that you find inspiring, post it to your social media pages. Be active and enthusiastic about that. Don't be shy and hold it to ourselves. The best way that we can get stuff out is to share it. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of social media. I'm not on social media, but it has some really good benefits. And you have, are all, here or online, sitting in the box seat to be able to share inspiration. You might get shut down at some point, but praise God that you've done that. We need to be active in that. Hebrews tells us that when we meet, we are, to, we are to stir each other up for love and good works. That's different to stirring one another up. There's enough of stirring one another up in our world. If we want to stir one another up, let's stir one another up for love and good works. To do right, not pull down and criticise. We're not here to stir up problems or trouble. You want to know what's going on in the church? Be part of that. Gather together and listen and be part of that, involved in that. It's really hard to be involved if we're not involved. That's a pretty ordinary statement to make, isn't it? Exhort one another, it tells us. Do you know what that word literally means? It literally means that we are to prod one another or urge one another 
or encourage one another. We're to give us a bit of a jab in the ribs and exhort one another to do good stuff. And all, we all need that from time to time. We all lose heart from time to time. But the encouragement and the enthusiasm that comes from when we gather together from others who are like-minded help keep us focused so that we're able to keep the main thing the main thing. It's important that we do that. And I know that there are that when we miss a few times in a row of being together in person, it gets harder to come back. I know that. I'm the pastor. It was hard to come back from holidays. I understand that, but the reality is that when we've been out of fellowship with others, connections get lost. And we lose focus and we begin, begin to prioritise other things. I, but can I, I just want to encourage you that if you have fallen into the habit of not being in person, that you've fallen into the habit of not fellowshipping with us, that recognising that when we do that, that we, we need to prioritise in getting back because Satan rejoices over the fact that people, God's people, do not fellowship together. Remember, the wolf attacks the lone sheep. He rejoices over the fact that you're not here, that you're, we're not gathering together. Paul urges the church at Philippi with these words in Philippians 2. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging in Christ? Again, the answer is no. Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together with the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? And the answer should be yes. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Us coming together on a Sunday morning is one of the greatest encouragements you can give to me as a pastor. Honestly, it is. To see our entire church gather together and at the same time in the one place encourages me like you would never believe. Don't hear me wrong that there are going to be times when you're not able to be here. I'm not saying you're in trouble for that. We all need to be away at times. There are reasons for that. We'll have holidays, we'll not be well. There's just a whole heap of things that take place. But I can tell you that if you have been in the habit of being gathered together in the fellowship, the body of Christ, you will be missed when you're not here. But if you've not been in the habit of gathering together, you probably will slip through the cracks a little bit easier. It shouldn't happen like that, but it does. When we're not here, we're missed. The questions at some point get up, where was so-and-so? The gathered church speaks volume also to the, to the community. Imagine the car park overflowing, cars spewing out onto across the road. Imagine what people might think, what in the world is going on there? Imagine the questions that could come because it speaks volume when the gathered church comes together. And so today, the day of our gathering, it ought to be one of the most significant days of the week for us when we can celebrate and join together. It's where all the small groups that meet during the week gather together. It's where family should and does happen. 
It's where we are to be encouraged and we must be careful that we, we don't place this opportunity of gathering together at the bottom of the priority pile. Oh, it's just church. Or I can skip there, though it, it won't matter if I miss one or two. We need to make meeting together the most important aspect and priority of our week. We need each other. I need you. And I'm sure that some of you need me. Hopefully we all need each other. We're a family. We're brothers and sisters. Welcome to our family. Let's rejoice in that. It's not that we have to, well, we're happy to see each other, but you're going to disagree with me. I'm going to disagree with you. We're going to have some doozies of fights, but we're still brothers and sisters. And we have one heavenly father who oversees it all, who wants us to be united and faithful. He wants to see his family come together to honour him, to worship him, to be generous and enthusiastic in the way that we do that because it will help us grow and mature and it happens as a result of the grace that God has given us, being equipped to serve and minister during the week without losing focus for why. So again, as the writer of Hebrew reminded us before, let's not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of the Lord's return is imminent, is near. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for embracing me and embracing us, for reaching out your hand for drawing us into your presence. I thank you that you love me and you love each one of us so much that there is nothing that you have not done to make sure that that relationship is strong and healthy. You've provided your church. Your word tells us that Jesus is building his church. You've provided with us those in authority over us to guide us and to help us to, to fine-tune our thinking. As iron sharpens iron, we sharpen each other as we gather together. I thank you, Father, that there is nothing that you desire more than to see your people gathered, rejoicing and worshipping you, being faithful in doing that, but being an example to the community that we represent. Help us to recognise the responsibility of training up our children in the way of the Lord. Father, we talk about that in our own families, but as a church, those who are new to the faith, help us to be faithful in discipling people, to train one another up so that we are able to be disciple makers. And I thank you, Father, for the gathered church. I thank you for the opportunities that we have to be able to do this without fear. Yet, Lord, we become complacent too often, too quickly. 
And so I pray now for our church, gathered here online, wherever we meet today. May we express joy. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Bring us into your presence. Lead us, Father, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because yours is the kingdom and yours is the power. The one that we want to glorify over and over and over again. Father, help us to keep our focus on you as our heavenly Father so that we will not be distracted and lose focus of what we are to do. May your name be honoured now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.